Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the all or nothing to my Sunderland till I die. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. How are you, Justin? Yeah, very good. Pretty tired, pretty hungover. Had a good had a good night last night, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, it was all right. Celebrating Justin's engagement. Am I allowed to say that on the podcast? It's yeah, too late absolutely. Now. Yeah, too late now. Yeah, it's, it's out there. But no, yeah, celebrating that. It's a uh, good time. It's officially not a virgin, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You'll still get called it online, though. <laughs> On the show this week, making his second-tier debut, we're joined by YouTube royalty in the form of Burnley fan Visa. How's it going, mate? It is absolutely fantastic. And I, I love the timing as well, because when we do this podcast, we actually are top of the league. may not last long because of how this division is, but right now I'm going to make the most out of it. So happy to be on, pal. You absolutely should make the most of it, shouldn't you? Also with us is the Bristol City podcast, Three Peeps in a Podcast. It's Patch Warner. Patch, how are we doing? How are chaps? And uh, big congratulations to Justin, by the sounds of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's worth mentioning yeah, that Patch is talking to us from a McDonald's drive through today. Have, yep. you, have you managed to get anything yet, Patch? No, no. I had to leave my, uh, abandon the car, basically leave my wife in there to collect the food. And now she's parked up and I'm sat here talking to you guys without lunch or a coffee. Out of interest, what have you ordered? Well, so we, we did a podcast the other day, um, a regular show, which is non-Bristol City related. And um, my co-host recommended a muck plant. So I'm trying the muck plant. Dear God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So um, if, it, if it's not very good, then he said he would pay for it. So yeah, everyone's a winner. Yeah, every cloud. Well, welcome to the number one <laughs> championship specific podcast, the second tier, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend, including that crazy game at Bramall Lane, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, and we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, as well as finishing off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. So Burnley are now top of the championship after smashing Swansea 4-0. Lizzie, your boys were brilliant here, weren't they? It was, it feels like it's all sort of coming together with the, with the boys that's in the team right now. A lot of new players, about 16 senior pros coming in, about 15 senior pros going out. The, the rebuild that was on the hands of Vincent Company when he first came in, we have, of course, brand new ownership as well. And in, in the last two years as well, keep, keep on top of that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by how fast it's all come together in terms of the system on day one against Huddersfield we instantly looked like we kind of knew what, what we were doing tactically. And it's only going to get better and better, in my opinion, because I think the more time that we can play, the, the wide players can understand what kind of little things they have to do, pressure, all that kind of stuff. It feels like it is actually coming together and the table doesn't lie in terms of most goals scored joint. I think second, least goals conceded. 
and we've considered um, an 88 plus minute winner four times sorry equalizer in, in four games so if we just held on a few points it could be even further ahead so right now it's really exciting yeah and only lost the one game as well strangely Burnley are top despite drawing more games than winning though which I, I don't think I've ever seen before but I mean here we are um, yeah Justin Swansea also had Joel Pirro sent off in this game it was just not a great day at the office for them was it no, absolutely not. It was just a case of um, Burnley blowing them out of the water very quickly and early on. I think with Swansea, they like to grow into games under Russell Martin. Any, I think any possession team want to grow into it, but they don't have the aggressiveness and the clinical nature that Burnley team did um, to, to to get ahead in this one. Unfortunately, yeah, just just caught Burnley on a good day while Swansea were on a bad day. And I think missing um, missing Ryan Manning as well was it was a big blow as well. Lack of balance in that Swansea team when he's not in it. Well, as we say, Fizzy, your boys sit top of the pile. You've kind of spoken about it already, but how impressed have you been with the job that Vincent Company has done? I I can't speak any highly of him, really, especially when you keep in mind it's his first job in England and it's come to a club which um I remember the narrative before you know he first came in saying that you know we were going to be doing a Sunderland in terms of the the debt that we we're in, about sixty five million pounds we we're into debt um based on the um leverage takeover that um Alan Pace and you know, the ownership um, took place in the club and that there was a lot of questions in terms of the future. And there was a big, big question in terms of all the players, who's going to go, who would possibly come in. And I would say the appointments have been fantastic. The players who brought in has been really good, but also smart. Um, I'm already seeing a lot of people kind of point the finger at us saying, you know, parachute payments FC, which I feel like is really unfair personally. I, I feel like it's unfair because if you look at how much money that we've received purely on fees it's touched about 60 odd mil we spent about 20 odd mil of that and that was to replace all the players that left in the first place you know 15 senior pros went out we brought in 16 so we had to do something about that and yeah i'm seeing the narrative slowly turn now against burnley saying that we're now just all parachute payments and that's it which i think is really being a it's a discredit to the job that company and the board has really done how do you rate your chances now of actually going back to the premier league at the first time of asking I would say that from the games that I've seen, a large majority of them, um, I feel like you know we were the team that were on top for the majority of the game. The one game that really stuck, sticks out that we were really poor is surprisingly West Brom, that they were really good against us that game, which surprised me on how poor they've been this year. It seems like that's the one game they've actually played really good against us, um, conveniently. Um, but right now, with the depth that we currently have, and I feel like because it's still a very early project, it's very promising science. So I would say, I don't want to say we're going to win the league, because I think that, especially in championship, you know, keep in mind, what, six points, and we're down to, where would we be? Like, uh, six points would be 14th. So, like, this league is absolutely crazy. So I'm still hoping for at least a top six finish. Top six, I think, is, you know, con considering the team that we have, I think that's reasonable. So I'm still keeping my hopes on that. Well, Bristol City couldn't make it back-to-back -back wins at home to Millwall. They were beaten 2-1. Patch, how was this game? Not a great performance. Very below par. I think the average score, if we were going to score every one out of ten, would, would have been around the mark of five. Um, that no one stood out, really. Antoine Semenyo, possibly, was the only one to come out with some credit um, just because he took the game by the scruff of the neck and tried to force an opening, but his shot, his shooting was way off yesterday as well. So not a very good day at the office. 
Yeah, the Millwall winner was a defensive howler, wasn't it? Three Bristol City players going for a long ball, launched into the box, and it just fell to Zion Fleming, who scored again, Justin. But Millwall have suddenly perked up, haven't they? Back to back wins. How do you rate their playoff chances? I mean, if I go back to how it was at the start of the season, how I was backing them to to get into the playoffs, I would rate them quite highly. But I think for Gary Rowett now, it's just getting that consistency through the team because that's something they struggled with for most of the season. That it's the first away win. This Bristol City game is the first away win in seven months. Um, and now it's just a case of trying to build on it and getting those attacking players um, involved. You look at Benny Kofobe, missed a penalty, so he's not quite informed yet. Tom Bradshaw got a goal. Zian Fleming seems to be in the right spot at the right time pretty much all the time at the moment, which is great. And now it's just getting those other players consistent and informed for Gary Rowett. Patch, Bristol City's form has really dropped off, has after a fairly bright start to the season. It's now just four points from a possible 21 in your last seven games. So what's gone wrong recently? Well, I, I saw that stat before the game. Millwall haven't won away since March. And I thought, well, that's obviously going to, you know, that's obviously going to happen today. Um, and just on the Benica Fove penalty miss, Max O'Leary is actually a very good penalty saver. He's uh, sort of a, a bit of a specialism for him. So, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we started the season, um, you know, a little bit off. And then we got into a run. I think we were eight unbeaten, including cup games. And then we went into, actually, we played Burnley and then Norwich. We gave Burnley a really good game. I think uh, you'll, you'll agree with that. Not, he's not in a way. Um, yeah, yeah. Lost by one. And then Norwich, we weren't. Norwich, we had a couple of defensive errors from, from Cal Naismith. And, and, we, and we lost that one by one goal as well. And then we went to the international break um, and that really seemed to derail us a little bit. We lost Matty James, who seemed to be sort of pulling the strings in the midfield. Um, and that, now we've lost Cal Naismith as well, who was playing centre-back and, you know, giving freedom to the, uh, to the two alongside him. And yeah, we've just gone off colour. We've just gone off colour. We got a win on Wednesday. We really needed that. But, and I thought that would springboard us a little bit into getting a result yesterday as well. But yeah, it was, it was back, to, um, back to the below par performance yesterday. So no obvious thing other than losing a few key players. Um, and yeah, the international break just sometimes can come at the wrong time. I've made my feelings known on Nigel Pearson on multiple occasions on this show and how I'm not a big fan. And it seems like he's under quite a bit of pressure again from some sections of the support group. Do you think he's under more pressure now than he has been in the past? No, he probably, he'll probably say he's not. Um, he doesn't get over excited and carried away when we're doing well. And equally, he doesn't get too down on himself and the team when we're not. He is quite critical. He says what you think as a fan um, and rarely sort of singles anyone out. So he maintains that sort of dressing room harmony. But, Behind the scenes, I'm sure he gave him a bit of a rollicking yesterday um, and probably did at halftime on, on Wednesday as well. So, yeah, some areas, um, some areas are, are starting to get a little bit toxic. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much in the Pearson in camp. He's got another year to, at least to run on his contract. Visa and Patch, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, just tonight, I'm going to go around the grounds. We'll begin with what many consider to be a meeting between two relegation battlers this season, Rotherham v Huddersfield. It finished 2-1 to the Millers to give Matt Taylor his first win as Rotherham boss. Matt Lax is from the Rotherham podcast, New York Talk. Matt, how's the game? 
Always a positive, three points on the board. Uh, I think it's really important Matt Taylor gets his first win as well. Um, you know, the longer a manager goes on without a win, that's more, it's just a bit of a monkey that starts hanging over. So it's really, really good to sort of get that, get that over, over the line. Not a perfect performance at all. Um, if Huddersfield had a bit more quality at the top end of the pitch, we could have found ourselves in a bit more trouble. I would say Victor Johansson has pulled off a couple of really, really good saves, which kept us ahead uh, towards, towards the back end of the game. But some really good performances. Scott Washington getting, getting another goal with Chuffrey and Georgie Kelly. Uh, popping up and doing what Georgie Kelly does and comes on and scores goals. Plenty of work for Matt Taylor to do from the first three games. Um, but four points from his first three games, I suppose anybody would have taken that. Uh, for that but so three points on the board can't not be happy with that yeah what have you made of Matt Taylor so far must be a bit strange for Rotherham fans actually considering you were used to Paul Warren for so long yeah very very strange um what you normally get with a new manager coming in is he come my new manager normally takes over when things aren't going particularly well and he breathes a bit of a fresh air into the club obviously we didn't have that there was plenty of positivity before Paul Warren left uh, Paul Warren leaving sort of took all the all the positivity. There were no positive left in the fans. And it's, it took a bit of time for Matt Taylor, and it's only been there 10 days or whatever, but it's, it's taken a bit of time to find the positivity back within the uh, fans. And I assume within the players as well, you could see the first game after Warnie left, it was tough uh, for all the players. But they've reacted really, really well. I can see he's trying to get his ideas across, less direct, trying to keep the ball a little bit more, trying to move it through the midfield, trying to move the opposition around a little bit. So that's, that is a step away, because obviously we, we were a little bit more direct under Paul Warnie, so... It's interesting seeing something different rather than seeing the same thing for six years. But the initial impressions are he speaks very well um, and hopefully it seems like a good fit in this early stage. Yeah, and Rotherham sit quite healthily in the table right now. They sit 15th. Do you still think you've got a good chance of staying up or even avoiding a relegation battle? I think most fans are realistic that we're still in still in the, the battle to stay out of that bottom three. This start gives us a hell of a platform. Uh, to try and move on with 18 points, 32 to get to the Magic 50, which will get, I think will guarantee safety this season. Probably won't even need that, to be honest. Um, yeah, th- th- we have seen, before Paul won left, I, w- I was very comfortable. We'd be staying up very comfortable. I, th- I thought we'd move forward. Um, you wouldn't always the worry where the new manager takes over, how, is I- how long his idea will take to get to cross, this, that and the other. But it seems like the players have taken him very, very well. So I- I'm still positive that we can stay up fairly comfortably. Um, but if you offered me fourth bottom by a point, I would still take it. I think most Rotherham fans would take it. It's about staying up, about consolidating, and hopefully Matt Taylor is the guy to take us up to the next level and have a bit of solidity in the Championship for a few years. Cheers, Matt. Yeah, Justin, Georgie Kelly got the winner in this game. He was practically on his knees by the time he actually hit it. It was very strange. I will be honest, he's someone I wasn't too aware of either, but Rotherham fans absolutely love him. When he came onto the pitch, there was this huge roar, which I, I don't think I've heard really before from, you know, just a, a striker who's only scored a couple of goals for Rotherham so far, um, or for any club for that matter, in a few months. I think it's because he scored the goal that got them promoted from League One, but fair play to him. He works hard. He's a big physical boy. He's also properly bold as well. And there isn't enough bold footballers in modern day football, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm a fan of that too, Justin. Um, looking at the game, I don't think either side were particularly sensational here. But Rotherham probably did deserve it. Having said that, Huddersfield had a blatant penalty turned down, didn't they, Justin? Yeah, they did. It's a frustrating one from a Huddersfield perspective. 
um, considering that uh, yeah, Rudoni was bearing down on goal, and um, I think it's Bramall who could just guess it. It's a tangle of legs, isn't it? And um, I think that either the referee's in the in a bad position, but I think they'll say it in Sky Studio. Lino's got to help him out there because it it, it was a penalty, um, but at the same time, I don't think Huddersfield did enough to to get themselves into the game. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I don't think Huddersfield would have deserved anything from it had they been given a penalty and they scored it, but. I mean, that penalty was clear as day, wasn't it? If that's happened mm-hmm. anywhere else on the pitch, the referee instantly blows for a free kick. But I just don't know what more the defender could have done to make it more of a penalty, really, without physically assaulting him. <laughs> I think I would just love to hear some sort of explanation from the referee for that decision because I struggle to see any justification for it. And it goes back to this age-old argument where the referees should come out and explain their decisions after game because I think in this case it would have been much needed, really, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'd expect both these teams to be right amongst the relegation battles as the season goes on. Justin, I assume you're the same. I, I do think Rotherham have got a little bit more about them. Um, I think that Matt Taylor's come in and not changed too much. Um, I think deserves a lot of credit. Um, he's he's clearly carrying or trying to carry on and keep it as consistent as possible from the Paul Warren era, which is good. And then he can slowly implement his ideas as time goes. As for Huddersfield, yes, I do think they'll be in a relegation battle. We've had a lot of fans tell us that they've got a squad that is top half, but I'm just not seeing it at the moment. Um, I don't know where they're and, getting that from. I know it's it's it's. I don't want to say it's bizarre. It sounds condescending if I say it like that, but um, the fact that they are not picking up points like a top half team should be goes to show quite a lot. They're a hard working team under Fotheringham, and I think you can get more out of them than than Schofield. But this squad needed. A lot of additions in um in the summer, and as I say, I mean that second goal for for Rotherham, the winner, proved that I just don't think their squad is good enough to be a top off team um, first and foremost, and also um, possibly get out of a relegation battle. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Justin. Richard Wood has now been involved in forty percent of Rotherham's goals. Not th- not something I expected to be saying a quarter of the way into the season, but here we are. There was a meeting between two relegated sides at Vicarage Road, Watford v Norwich. It finished 2-1 to the Hornets, thanks to goals by Imran Lauza and Keenan Davis. Watford were brilliant in the first half. I have absolutely no idea where that showing came from, considering how bad they were against Blackpool last weekend. I think it's down to Watford having two playmakers in midfield. I was bemoaning that last week, and it's actually something I've been bemoaning for quite some time. A side like Watford should not be playing two midfielders whose prime functions are to win the ball. But they dropped KMB for this game, let Lauser drop a bit deeper, and then had Espria as the number 10. And it just gives Watford so much more creativity, doesn't it? And so much more control of games. Also good to see Keenan Davis back in the side. He was dropped last weekend for unknown reasons. I don't really understand that. Watford were possibly clinging on a bit in the second half and Daniel Backman had to make an amazing save. But by and large, I thought Watford were good value for the win based on the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, for the whole 90 minutes, they were certainly the better side. Um, and as you say, that um, that spine of the team is looking a lot more better, a lot more better, uh, a, lot, a lot better with the likes of Lauza, um, Chowdhury, Kiembe, whoever's going to fill in that role as a, as a ball winner, you're going to need a, a playmaker alongside you. And then when you've got someone like a Spreer or a Pedro um, in and around the, the number nine as well. It's just had so much um, impetus in the, in the final third. And, and it did in this game. They were 
probably one of their best attacking performances at times this season. Um, probably since the opening day against Sheffield United, where they they were they were a constant threat to Norwich every time they got the ball in into their third. So yeah, a really really good display from Watford, and it's something that they need to they need to build on. Billy's going to get a lot out of this team. He's, he's a good he's a good coach, especially at Championship level. Um, it's just it's just whether or not he gets the time. That's the thing with Watford. It's just whether or not he gets the time. Well, do you think this result could be a turning point for Watford and Slavin Bilic, Justin? This performance should serve as a blueprint for how Watford should function under Slavin Bilic. Um, obviously, they could potentially lose Lauser, um, depending on the FA charge that's over him at the moment. Um, that, that that could harm things. Obviously, missing him for at least six games will, will be a massive blow. Um, but they'll have to find a way to cope without him, like they're trying to find a way to cope without Pedro. Um, so it's just about getting their balance in that in that midfield right, because if they can, they're going to be a good side going forward. Defensively, might have a few issues because I still think there's a lot to a lot to be desired uh, for, from a Watford perspective defensively, especially personnel. But um, I think this, yeah, as I say, this this performance should, should serve as a blueprint because Norwich are a good team at this level, um, and Watford absolutely battered them chance wise. Yeah, I think Billich having a whole week to work with the players meant a lot because it meant he could mm-hmm. finally work out the best eleven he's got available and get across to the players how he wants to play. Watford now needs to make sure that this massive win isn't followed up the same as that Stoke win was <laughs> because we all know how that went and it was pretty bad for the couple of games in between. But João Pedro is coming back into the side now, which is a massive boost. The defence is still a concern. Dan Goslin at right back, still not sure about that. And in fact, you could probably make... Um, you could probably have question marks over every player in that back four. But nonetheless, despite only being five points off the top, I find it difficult to see them getting back into the top two race. Possibly if they're still in reach by January and they're bringing some extra bodies. They could do. They'll have to be a good window. But they'll still very much fancy their chances of getting in the top six, won't they? It feels like having a bit of a season reminiscent of what Sheffield United had last season, actually. Make no mistake about it, though, January cannot come soon enough mm. for this Watford team because they need to get players in through the door. Yeah. Of course, they've got some very talented players there, but the gap between the very talented players and some of the players who are playing regularly in this team is worrying, to say the very least. One win from five, all of a sudden for Norwich. Justin Dean Smith has been getting a lot of stick from supporters for recent performances. Do you think he's to blame? I don't. I, I don't know if he's to blame. Um, I mean, how how they've been playing uh, got, got got a very good run of form going. Um, they were one of, they were the form team in the division up until um, just after the international break. So I don't think it's down to Dean Smith. I just think he's he's they're just going for a patch. I, I would say they're just going for a patch. Um, I think the thing that he needs to sort out immediately is how easily they're conceding goals. If you go back to Preston last week, Jakobsen was unmarked for both of his goals. You come into this Watford game, Lauser's unmarked for his shot, and Keenan Davis is unmarked for his his tapping. Um, it's it's really really poor defending, and they're conceding a lot of chances as well. Going back to that Blackpool game, um, that's that's the worry for me is how is how open they are without actually punishing opposition either. So, yeah, I think it goes back to what I said a few weeks ago about them being a ninety minute team. They sort of reduced from that even more um, and become a really poorly balanced team overall. Um, it's just about recovering that and, and Dean Smith. He's, 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 you'll be under pressure to do it quite quick. Yeah, I think 
calling for Dean Smith to be sacked is a bit drastic, to say the very least. I do have mm-hmm. questions with Norwich, which I think are understandable. I don't really know what the style of play is. And that's certainly a common complaint about Dean Smith from Norwich fans. Having said that, he was successful at Villa for many years, despite not having a clear style of play. Mm. It's one minute in five, but I don't think they've been awful. And actually, any five of those results could have been a very different one on another day. So I think ultimately, while this Norwich team isn't perfect, it's still very good. I didn't see many Norwich fans complaining about not having a clear style of play when they won six games on the bounce. Mm -hmm. So they've got to stick with Dean Smith. I don't think he's close to getting sacked anyway, because I just don't think Norwich would do that. But he's doing a good enough job, isn't he? I think supporters are just doing what supporters do and get carried away over a couple of bad results. Um, But as I say, the results may have not been great in the last couple of games, but I don't think they've been awful at -hmm. any point. They weren't great in the first half against Watford, but... It wasn't so bad that I was thinking, Christ, they are about to have a massive downturn. (laughs) There was a great game at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United were 2-0 up. Then Blackpool came back to be 3-2 up. Blackpool then have two men sent off. Then Rian Brewster misses a last-minute penalty. But then Oli Norwood scored a 97th-minute equaliser to make it 3-3. And then there was a big scrap after the final whistle, which led to another two red cards, one for each side. This game was absolutely bonkers, Justin. Yeah, I have no idea how to dissect it. Um, it, it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was like the Battle of Bramalane back, uh, you know, the, the West Brom Sheffield United game from all those years ago. But it was as close as you could get um, with the amount of red cards there were. But yeah, absolutely bonkers. Pretty much what the championship's about: um, two teams going at each other, literally. Um, and yeah, plenty of. I'd say positive play at times. I think Sheffield United would be very frustrated at how they conceded the goals. I think Blackpool would be frustrated that they're not coming away with a win. I think for a neutral perspective, and especially our perspective, it was a win-win for us this game. Oh, it was incredible. I loved every single minute of it. I was hoping it wouldn't end. And even after the final whistle went, it still didn't end, did it? Um, it's easy for it to get lost in the madness, but Ollie Norwood's equaliser is actually a brilliant goal. To hit it on the half volley. While it's falling out the sky like that, it takes some serious technique to keep it down. So that was a beautiful goal. But yeah, a lot to enjoy with this game. Once you get past all the madness, it's easy to forget that Sheffield United have again dropped points in a game where they really should be winning, Justin. Yeah, being I mean, firstly being 2-0 up. Uh, we, we've lauded um, Sheffield United's ability to defend this season, but over the last few weeks with personnel being injured and, and it's seemingly personnel being unfit, um, in this game, or not quite up to to match sharpness, shall we say? Um, I think it yeah came home to roost a little bit. Um, yeah, dropping a two 0 lead at home to any team is is really frustrating. Um, there'll be a, a lot of managers who will be throwing things in the in the changing room. I imagine after um, dropping points in the in the first half. So yeah, disappointing from for for Sheffield United. Um, but I think that's a testament to to how sharp Blackpool can be on the break. Um, but yeah, from 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 Blade's point of view. They, they need to improve. Again, quickly, a bit like Norwich, just going for a bit of a rough patch. But for me, Sheffield United's ability to defend has just completely gone away from them, which we wouldn't have said a couple of weeks ago because they were um, yeah, an incredibly good defensive team. But a lot of that can be put down to the injuries, can't it, Justin? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, definitely. Um, like I said, I, obviously, uh, Ahmed uh, Hozic was, was back into the team, um, but I just think it comes down to match sharpness as well of the overall team um, with the amount of injuries that they have had Sheffield United they're going to be 
well, there's going to be a consistent eleven that um, or a consistent group of players that Heckenbottom's had to put out and he's not been able to rotate. So those players are going to naturally be be jaded. And then you've got players who not necessarily being rushed back, but um, they're probably coming back in a, a week or two sooner without any minutes under their belts after having a couple of weeks out themselves. So that's going to have an impact as well. So I think in a couple of weeks we'll, we'll know a little bit more about the Sheffield United team as opposed to now. Um, but certainly not a bad performance. You've got to praise their character. Um, but it had to be inevitable getting back into the game against nine men, surely. Well, it looks like they are starting to recover from their injury crisis. Agmet Hodzic, McBurney, Brewster all came off the bench here. George Bulldock was back in the team. Ben Osborne started his first game of the season, someone I completely forgot existed. Yeah. But ultimately, it is no wins in four. They'll be keen to get back to winning ways. And you'd have thought that may have some sort of correlation with the amount of injuries that they have. I was quite impressed with Blackpool in spells of this game, Justin. It was a battling performance, literally and figuratively. Jerry Yates got another two goals. His brace last weekend was his first at championship level. And now he's got two braces in two games. And if he manages to sustain this form over a prolonged period, Justin, he could single-handedly keep Blackpool up, couldn't he? Yeah, I think that's... One argument you could put against Blackpool last season is they didn't have a consistent goal scorer, albeit the goals were shared amongst the likes of Lavery, uh, Yates, Medine, Anderson. Um, so having Yates in form is a really important uh, aspect for Blackpool because you know Gary, Gary Medine is not prolific, Shane Lavery is not prolific. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just ensuring neither is Jake Beasley actually. He's another player that I've forgotten about. Um, so it's just ensuring that while your players in form, you, you're getting the results, and they are. Um, as I say, I think they're struggling defensively a little bit like Sheffield United. They're struggling with um, personnel uh, and depth in the, in the back four, which might be might be why they're conceding quite a few goals. But from an attacking point of view, they're a very, very good side and a very exciting side. And I think they showed that in, in spells, as you said, um, in this game. Middlesbrough back in the bottom three after losing 2-1 to Blackburn. What a strike by Sam Gallagher. Goal of the weekend, without a doubt, from the big man. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen him hit it as well as that from 25 yards out. But that was an absolute beauty. Darrell Lenahan scored an own goal against his former side. Never ideal. Possibly the highlight of the game, though, was save of the season by Thomas Kaminsky, Justin. That was unbelievable. i got to make the case for miss of the season from Akpom, surely. Um, I just think... Agpom's got a lot of the goal. He just—he was just there, wasn't he? He was just there. He, I, wasn't, think he I think you're being very harsh on Agpom. I think he's just thought, if I get this on target, then it's a goal. Just to quickly describe for the listener who's not seen it, Cross comes in, it's deflected over Kaminsky's head onto the post, falls to the feet of Tuber Agpom, who's got a simple tap in. Kaminsky, though, says, not today, <laughs> makes himself as big as possible and manages to stop a guaranteed goal. It was astonishing, Justin. You may think Akpom should have put that away. In fact, he should have put that away. But for Kaminsky to even get a hand on it would have been, you know, somewhat impressive. And we talk about things like expected goals. That must be a solid one in terms of XG, (laughs) wasn't it? Because Akpom's got a simple job. I don't think he did anything wrong particularly. It's just Kaminsky had a... A proper Hail Mary moment and it paid off for him and sure there was a bit of luck involved but it's an incredible piece of goalkeeping and without a doubt one of the best best saves I've ever seen while doing this podcast. Wow, wow, wow. That is a statement. I, I'll disagree politely. Um, really? I, How? I don't, I don't think it's one of the best saves I've seen ever. I just think it's hit Kaminsky. Or no, I think Kaminsky's got himself in a way of it. 
you know, defenders that, block shots all the what time. Keeping is about Justin. <laughs> yeah, but there's there was no reflex to it. Um, he just stuck his he just stuck his hand there. Um, now defenders block shots all the time. Gen- also, not... generally, what goalkeeping is. <laughs> yeah, but there's a way of, you know, there's a way. You know, I, I can see proper, what you mean. I can proper see save looks. It's it, it, there was a lot more luck involved in this kind of yeah, save exactly. than exactly. one where it's a reflex getting down to stop it, but. To just completely disregard it just now, I think it's a bit harsh. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll settle on that. It, it, it is harsh, but um, I don't think it's just, it's nowhere near one of the best saves I've seen. Um, there, there have been many a better save, and I'll have to see a compilation to uh, refresh my memory because I'm not using recency bias to um, to pluck one out. But if, if a goalkeeper's not getting himself in the way of that, I'd be disappointed. Even though you just said Akpom should be scoring, but okay, whatever. It should be. Um, this result, of course, means Blackburn's ridiculous form continues. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, I think. It's absolutely crazy. I'm getting confused just looking at it. Um, the thing is, as well, when they've lost, they've been really quite bad, haven't they? You go back to the performance in midweek, Justin, when they were clearly second best. And then even before that, they were also very much second best. So there's just no continuity or sense with this form. It's very strange. Also, you know when you look at the table sometimes and you're like, oh, how so-and-so ended up there? <laughs> Blackburn are fifth. Yeah. <laughs> One point off top. <laughs> they've won more games than Burnley, Norwich and Sheffield United. And they've also lost as many games as Middlesbrough and nearly twice as many as West Brom. <laughs> This league just never fails to amaze me. Um, speaking of Middlesbrough, they're in a difficult place, aren't they, Justin? Four points from a possible 18. This season's just not going to plan, is it? Yeah, they've regressed even quite a bit in the last few weeks. Um, and that's quite frightening because they weren't they weren't great. They just weren't putting chances away. But now they're not creating as chances regularly. I know Kaminsky was a very busy boy. Um, but I go back to when we first started doing the podcast uh, I made a comment about Jonathan Woodgate having Robbie Keane on his staff and Borough weren't putting away chances then. Uh, how have we got to the point where we're a few years down the line and Borough still don't have a forward who can put away chances regularly? They've never, it just it seems like they've never really gone out and tried to invest in it in a you know, really good forward at this level, even Stop though they've right had there. a chance. Okay. British Sambalonga. <laughs> they invested, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, I, that was after. Um, that was before Woodgate, I mean, you know, preceded Woodgate. But I'm talking, you know, after Woodgate, they, they, there's a clear issue here for Middlesbrough, and that's putting chances away. Even in the summer, it wasn't addressed. So, what is, what are the targets for for Middlesbrough? What what do the ownership and the football and and, and, and the guys running the football side of things see from a Middlesbrough perspective going forward? Because at the moment, I I, I don't think Chris Wilder was backed uh, how he wanted it to be. Um, I know some of his first choice targets weren't exactly. Realistic. Dean Henderson, for example, was one of them. Um, but you know, not bringing in a forward that was a at least a semi-reliable goal scorer at this level, um, I think, has, has really put them back, and they're paying for it now. Well, if you're looking for positives, I think there are some to be found because they've certainly got winnable games coming up. In fact, Middlesbrough will strongly fancy their chances of getting wins from all of their next six games. If you just have a look at them. The manager situation just needs to be sorted out, though, doesn't it, as soon as possible. I don't understand why Middlesbrough would sack Chris Wilder if they didn't have a replacement virtually lined up straight away. But things are 
dilly-dallying along. The head of football wants Rob Edwards, but other members of the hierarchy wanted Michael Carrick. Carrick said no, so surely you just go and get Edwards. But no, now they're umming and ahhing about giving it to Lee Catamole. The strange thing is, if you wanted him to have a go, then surely you'd have made him caretaker boss. So uh, it's very strange what's going on behind the scenes at Middlesbrough. And someone needs to get a grip of the situation. Otherwise... They could sleepwalk into a relegation battle, Justin, mm-hmm. if they're not careful, because things don't look like again any better anytime soon. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about West Brom's first win since the sacking of Steve Bruce, and of course, Luton winning against QPR. Back to the second tier podcast in West Brom's first game since sacking Steve Bruce. They beat Reading 2-0. Always happens, doesn't it? Manager gets sacked <laughs> and then suddenly the team performs. Just West Brom's second win of the season. Possibly aided by comments from Andy Carroll prior to the game. He said it's always sad to see people get the sack, especially when we were guaranteed three points at the weekend. It's a shame, but that's football. Why would you say that, Andy? I have no idea. <laughs> Just adding motivation for the opposition. I think Reading can feel a bit unfortunate not to get something from this game. Justin Alex Palmer was certainly much busier of the two goalkeepers, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think it's just a manner in which they conceded the goals that will be most disappointing. But I think we've said it with Reading quite a few times. If they perform, if they put in more performances like this against West Brom, I think Tom Holmes said it against QPR. Actually, I probably disagree with him on that one, but. More so agree with him if you said it about this game. If Reading played like this on a regular basis, then I don't see why top half can't be an achievable aspect because they they've created a lot of chances. They didn't concede a lot of chances, which is a very nice balance. I know it's a very plain way of saying it, but they just lacked um, a killer instinct in in their in the final third themselves, and they switched off. Um, especially that switch ball comes from Gardner Hickman, for example, to to Matt Phillips, and he's one on one with the left back. Um, why is there no one? doubling up on, on Matt Phillips because they're only playing one wide player for example I know they played a 3-4-3 West Brom but if you've got Matt Phillips bearing down on a young on a young wing back double up on him make it hard for him and that didn't happen and, and obviously he got the first one then Hendrick loses the ball for the second one they're avoidable goals from a Reading perspective so yeah certainly hard done by but they'll take lessons from it yeah, there was a virus outbreak in the squad. It meant Paul Ince couldn't be on the touchline for this game and Joe Lumley wasn't available. I think Tom Holmes also was struggling and had to battle through the game um, just because of a lack of options at Reading. So that certainly wasn't ideal. But it's the first time Reading have lost back-to-back games this season. They travel away to Swansea on Tuesday. The start of the show in this game for West Brom was Taylor Gardner-Hickman. He scored his first ever senior goal and it was a proper beauty from distance once it... And he's quite an interesting case because we spoke about him loads last season, didn't we, Justin? Mm. He, he he was a bright spark in what ended up being a very disappointing campaign for uh, West Brom. But this Steve, this season, Steve Bruce has just halted his progress. And of course, things were really bad under Steve Bruce in terms of results. But one of Bruce's biggest faults was not utilising... Gardner Hickman he's a wonderful talent but Steve Bruce either left him on the bench or stuck him at right back this guy for me is one of the most exciting young talents in the championship but from our perspective it's difficult to talk about how good he is when he's not being used properly or even playing in plenty of cases this season so if one player in particular benefits from Bruce's sacking without a doubt it's going to be Gardner Hickman because 
he can't have you know been hindered as much under the new manager as he was doing under Steve Bruce and hopefully whoever the new manager is appreciates how much of a talent he is because he certainly is a top top talent uh, but West Brom needed a good result just to lift the mood around the Hawthorns very interesting to note by the way John Swift left on the bench for this game against his former side doesn't even come on Interesting one to monitor that. There was a meeting between two dark horses for promotion on Saturday at Kenilworth Road between Luton and QPR. The home side ran out the 3-1 winners. Very funny own goal here. Senny Dieng and Jimmy Dunn both go for the ball and it ends up ricocheting off both of them eventually onto Dunn's face and rolls into the goal. So that was good. Ethan Horvath also scored a funny own goal coming off the bar and a hunter is back. Luton, good value for the win. I was impressed with them, Justin. They're now unbeaten in six. Sitting seventh, one point off the playoffs, going well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was really impressive, Luton. I think in the first half, especially, I've not seen a team pin back QPR um, for as long a period as, as Luton did in in that first half, and that's that's a compliment to both QPR and and Luton actually. Um, uh, I think in in the, in the second half they, they they did struggle at times, but that second goal um, later on in the game killed killed it for, from a QPR perspective. But yeah, really really good performance from Luton. Again, they do what we know they're good at. They they they've worked hard. They were disciplined in their shape. The wing backs created a really good amount of width. Um, substitutions were important at key times. Um, you know, Harry Cornet coming in and running the channels caused a lot of issues for uh, for QPR. Um, similar to to Cameron Drone when he came on, you know, if you've got someone, if you've got two players like Morris and and uh, Adebayo, they're going to batter opposition for sixty minutes, and you're bringing on Harry Corner who's going to stretch the game, and Cameron Drome who's also a bit of a battering, more of a battering now Ram now than he was earlier on in his career. It's just it's just an uncomfortable sight for uh, for opposition. So, yeah, really good, uh, really good subs as well from from Nathan Jones. Not much else to say about Luton. They're they're doing very well, very well at the moment, and uh, yeah, they're in uh, they're in full gear, I think, or, or getting to full gear. Yeah, I, I talk about how good a side Luton are quite regularly on this show, and I don't think anyone wants to hear it because opposition fans will be thinking, "Great, we get it, you love Luton." And then Luton fans will be thinking, stop bigging us up all the time. Um, but they are just a really good side, aren't they? The thing that stands out for me is how consistent they've been. Now that they've finally got going, as you say, Justin, they're near enough top gear at this point. I can't recall the last bad performance we've seen from them. And they've been really competitive in pretty much every game now for a number of weeks. And I think that goes a long way. As the season goes on, if you continue that, it should see you in a very healthy position because we always say, don't we, consistency is worth its weight in gold in this division. Mm-hmm. QPR have been flying as well. So this is a big scalp for Luton, especially because they hadn't beaten them in something like 16 years as well. They have got a tricky week ahead with away trips to Norwich and local rivals Watford. So potentially a week for Luton to make a real statement of intent. Because I think right now they're going under the radar for plenty of people in the division. Not us, because we talk about them all the time. But if they manage to get some good results this week then Luton can really make people sit up and take notice. In the Alex Neil derby, Stoke won 2-0 away at Preston. What a finish by Tyrese Campbell here. He seemed to be stood with the ball at his feet in the box for ages, but then the finesse was superb. A surprisingly very one-sided game this, Justin. I don't know if you expected that. I, well, obviously, I, don't, I didn't expect it. I mean, Preston... Um, 
prior to, to midweek, Preston had been doing relatively well. Uh, they'd obviously got into a, a, a good habit of putting chances away. Um, and maybe that's sort of opened them up a little bit because here Stoke were scintillating. They were fantastic. The balance of the team was almost perfect. Um, it was a really, really good performance from Stoke. And one of those performances where you just know the opposition are not going to get back into this game, even if the game finishes 1-0 they're going to struggle um, and that's probably more testament to, to how Stoke played um, they controlled the game the, the the number eight of Lewis Baker and number six of Josh Laurent worked a lot better than it has done in recent weeks the wing backs were a threat consistently and Tyrese Campbell and Dwight Gale really nice partnership and I put Tyrese Campbell's goal as goal of the weekend from my perspective anyway I, I absolutely loved it I think it was just skill and audacity in a nutshell I don't think you can get that from from players just putting their foot through the ball it was a beautiful beautiful finish um, from from Campbell and really good to see him in form or getting back into form Well let me ask you this Justin are Stoke starting to change your mind at all because since that 4-0 thrashing against Watford a couple of weeks ago which by all accounts was a terrible performance they drew with Burnley beat Sheffield United and now convincingly beat Preston this weekend so what are you thinking with them now? Again mentioned it just a minute ago consistency is key uh, in this in the championship um so i think if they can maintain the level of performance um keep the ball out of the back of their net keep keeping clean sheets jagiel coming to the defense i think has really helped as well um if they can carry on doing that because i don't think the balance of the team suits alex neil um he's got two very attacking wing backs for example in sterling and fosso in this game um, so I think if he can find a balance once Josh Tymon is back, I think we'll know a little bit more about his team. But yeah, I think this is what we expect an Alex Neal team to look like. Very solid, very um, very good at using uh, wing backs, and as well as that, um, a healthy dose, healthy dose of goals as well. So yeah, are they changing my mind? Not yet, but they're on the way. Yeah, it's taken a while for them to get going, but they are starting to get going aren't they it's a very small sample size but there's no need to get carried away is there because this is Stoke we're talking about <laughs> we should never get too carried away with Stoke but there's without a doubt some good signs there Tyrese Campbell's looked really bright in the last couple of games it's taken nearly two years for him to start looking bright again but he might finally be getting back to that player that was unplayable not too long ago Dujon Sterling's looked good for me as well Lewis Baker is just a phenomenal player in midfield so I think good signs is the perfect way to sum it up for Stoke. Should never get too carried away, but I've liked what I've seen recently. Uh, Preston now conceded seven goals in three games after that ridiculous start to the season. Unfortunately, aside from that Norwich game, goals continues to be a problem. And by my calculations, Justin, not scoring many goals and letting them in is not a good mix in football. Sunderland came from a goal down to beat Wigan 2-1. A, a real game of two halves, this star of the show, Dennis Serkin. The young defender got a goal and an assist. And every time I've watched Sunderland this season, this lad has really impressed me. 20-year-old, originally a left-back, but has been playing as a centre-half this season. And it suits him really, really well, especially in that back three, because he's so good with the ball at his feet. He's your modern-day centre-half in, in that respect. But he loves a challenge still. And I was interested to read the other day that Spurs have a buyback clause for him. So... They're clearly very much aware of how talented a boy he is, and I'm sure they'll be keeping a very close eye on how well he's doing right now. But without a doubt, Sunderland have got themselves a very talented player. Unfortunately, it may only be a matter of time before they have to let him go, but hopefully they'll be able to get compensated well for it because he's been a, a pretty phenomenal player 
recently. What well, this whole season actually for Sunderland. Uh, what did you make of this game, Justin? A game that lacked a, a fair bit of uh, consistent quality. I think there was moments and sparks. Patrick Roberts, for example, having the um, the running of James McLean on that uh, well, Sunderland's right hand side. He got in behind plenty of times, but you can just tell they are missing that that number nine because, as I say, Roberts can beat his man several times, but you know, cut the ball back. It's not going to happen very often. Wigan were trying to play for a result, um, didn't work in their favour, and just moving on to Dennis Chir- uh, Chirkin, Kirchin, what? Sirkin. Sirkin. I don't know why. I, my, my pronunciation is absolutely terrible. They've got worse over the years. It's just <laughs> a scary thought, but it's his goal. He, he took it really bravely as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, good much need, it's a good and much needed win for Sunderland um, and a pretty frustrating defeat from a Wigan perspective. I wanted to see a little bit more of them. They've, they've got a good away record, but last two away games have been pretty poor. Yeah, second loss away from home this season for Wigan and the home form is not anything to shout about. So, yeah, away is where they're mainly getting their results. Mark Hudson suffered his first loss as caretaker boss of Cardiff. They were beaten 1-0 at home by Coventry. They will feel hard done by, though, because Colin Robertson had a late goal ruled out for offside, but it looks like he was actually on. Victor Yocker has got on the score sheet, but only after providing a contender for miss of the season. <laughs> Goalkeepers come flying out of the box, gets it completely wrong. Yocker has got an open goal with two Cardiff players on the line, Last it over the bar. All he had to do was get it on target. Uh, it was quite funny though. And the late kickoff this Sunday afternoon is between Hull and Birmingham. 3 pm this kicked off for some reason. Not ideal for podcast recording on a Sunday. Even more not ideal when the game was delayed because the goals were too big. So they had to get a saw to shorten it, which was absolutely incredible. Anyway, to tell us how this game went, here's the return of Justin Peach from the future. Ooh, just from the future here. It's Birmingham City took the three points back to the West Midlands. They beat Hull City 2-0 in what was a very comfortable win for the Blues. Troy Deeney scored and later missed a penalty for Janina Bakuna putting an absolute blinder of a performance. Topped that off with one of the goal, goals of the weekend, possibly the goal of the weekend. Um, and yeah, very, very good win for, for Birmingham City. It means that they just lost once in their last six, won three of the last six, and they're really picking up some good form on a John Eustace. That midfield three, again, helping them of Hannibal, Chong and Bielik. What a midfield three. But for Hull, it means that they've just won one of the last six, losing five of that last six in the meantime. Yeah, not looking good for Hull City. And we thought we, they'd turn the corner against Wigan, but actually it was more of the same of what Shotter Avaladzi was sacked for it was disorganised it was leaderless um, and it lacks an attacking spark which is a real big worry conceding goals and not being able to create too many chances either it leaves Hull in a bit of a pit to be very honest and one they should be very worried about after investing a hell of a lot of money over the summer cheers Justin from the future right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. We'll begin with managers, Justin, since there's still quite a few vacant jobs in the Championship. And The Sun are reporting West Brom are eyeing up Plymouth's Stephen Schumacher, who's said to be one of many names on a shortlist. Thoughts on that one, Justin? You're a big fan of his, aren't you? Yep, love Stephen Schumacher. Uh, his Plymouth team came to Pride Park, absolutely played Derby uh, off the park, so to speak, and they were absolutely fantastic. Um, spoke to a couple of Kai fans when Steve Morrison was initially sacked and I think Plymouth on TV against Ipswich and that really persuaded them to want to go for Stephen Schumacher as well. Really good style of play. They play through the they play through the lines brilliantly. Um it will be a big transition for this West Brom team and group to go from playing Ishmael Ball, well Allardyce, 
Ball, Ishmael Ball, Bruce Ball into Schumacher Ball. It's completely different. Um, so if he does come in, he will need a long time to, to get them playing his way, I think. But it could be worthwhile, couldn't it? He's a young coach. He's got plenty of plaudits for uh, how his Plymouth side are playing. So if they take the gamble, it'll be worth it, won't it? And it would be interesting mm-hmm. if West Brom did go down that route, considering there are plenty of big names out and about at the moment. Interestingly, Pedro Martins and Michael Carrick are both the favourites for the Hull and Middlesbrough jobs, respectively, despite both rejecting those roles not too long ago. So whether there's something the bookies know that we don't, I don't know. Talk sports say QPR boss Mick Beale is a candidate for the Wolves job. He's certainly impressed us at his time at QPR, hasn't he? So no surprise that he's um, already being linked with Premier League jobs. Sheffield United have confirmed midfielder Sander Berger and defender Jaden Boger will be out injured until after the World Cup. That's a real big blow for them, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, I mean, some, some of the news that comes out um, in these sections it surprises me a little bit because I don't hear it but yeah wince when you said that um, I mean Jaden Bogle offers so much down the right hand side whenever he's fit and obviously he's a completely weirdly completely different player to George Baldock because um, he just likes getting at players and he adds a nice different oh a nice dimension for um, for Sheffield United um, and Asander Burge oh yeah he's, he's one of the best in the league so any team missing one of the, oh, their best players they're going to struggle um, and that's a massive shame for them especially because of the form that he's been in so far. So, yeah, massive, massive blows for Sheffield United there. QPR have signed former Liverpool midfielder Elijah Dixon Bonner. The 21-year-old has been a free agent. Luton say they're appalled after racist abuse was sent to striker Elijah Adebayo following their win against QPR. The club say it's been reported to the police, Instagram and the EFL. Coventry say they've received assurances that their home game against Sheffield United will go ahead on Wednesday night. It's because of the landlords at the CBS Arena. The rugby side Wasps have gone into administration, or at least heading into administration. The club say they remain in contact with the arena over the current situation. We did say that was one to monitor, didn't we? Mm. And finally, Sunderland Till I Die is returning for a third and final season on Netflix. It's going to be focusing on their playoff final win as opposed to the whole season. I love this show, Justin. It's how football documentaries should be done. Yeah, I, I mean, um, all or nothing's good, um, but it doesn't give you as much insight as sort of until I die did. Um, just the the importance to football clubs, to supporters, uh, how important it is to just everything around them, to communities as well and, and cities. Um, you don't get any of that from all or nothing. Um, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit wishy-washy for me. But Sunday until I die is raw as they get. It is really, really good. Yeah, I completely understand what you mean, Justin. I once watched on Netflix. I think it was a Juventus documentary, and it was <laughs> boring as anything because it was so wishy-washy. It was just showing like the players when they're not at the training ground and what have you. Is oh, it was awful. But uh, all, all or nothing's good. I, I do enjoy it because at least they. It's not completely wishy-washy. You at least get to see, you know, players arguing in the changing rooms and what have you, which I'm all there for. I mean, it's the only reason I watch those kind of things. Um, but Sun Until I Die is proper raw. And the first season was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, actually, second season was very good as well. It's just brilliant. Um, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. What's the top two going to be this season? Burnley, Norwich, Burnley, Sheffield United, Norwich, Sheffield United, or something else? I will go with Burnley, Sheffield United. Um, 
maybe something else actually Sheffield United and, and maybe a surprise team I feel like we could be surprised by a QPR maybe a Luton so yeah good says Burnley Sheffield United but I won't be surprised if there's a surprise one in there so to speak yeah I think there's definitely three clear teams at the moment in there but I wouldn't rule out a, a team making a good fist of it out of the ones we've given, I'd probably say... Oh, God, it's really hard. Probably Burnley-Sheffield United. I'd probably agree with you, Justin. 31% of people said Burnley-Sheffield United. 27% said Burnley-Norwich. 16% said Norwich-Sheffield United. 26% said something else. Uh, will Watford get in the playoffs, yes or no? No. Really? Why are you so convinced, yeah. Justin? I just don't think they are... I just I don't. If you look at teams and how structured they are, how well structured they are, how things uh, are run off field, and how uh, content supporter bases are, Watford don't have any of that ticked in their box. Um, but saying that, I don't. I didn't think they would under Ivic and Cisco um, uh, a couple of seasons ago. So and they did. Oh, they went up automatically. So I won't be surprised because of the quality. And if they get back to in January, then then yeah, they probably will. But right now, I don't think they will. But you said it was such assertiveness Justin that you sounded like you were convinced it's not going to happen and then you've just kind of gone back on yourself a bit well take Lauser out of that team um, and they, they miss that person who can progress the ball through the midfield they've missed Shao Pedro and Esprit is just a kid um, so his consistency is not going to quite be there um, so already they don't have the, the quality players to step in when those aren't when those aren't available having to play Dan Gosling at right back as well defensively not too sure they they concede a lot of chances so yeah I'm quite confident they won't but I wouldn't be surprised if they throw a little bit of money at it in in January and and they get there I think that's it January is a massive month for Watford isn't it as a football club because they need to strengthen without a doubt as I said earlier I can see them having a similar season to what Sheffield United have had. Um, so I think they probably will get into the playoffs. 52% of people said yes. 48% said no. So quite close. And finally, what's your favourite moment from Sunderland Till I Die? I'm a prick. I have kids. Ibrahimovic, the walkout music or Jack Rodwell? I'm a prick. I have kids. It's, I'm not a prick. I've got six kids. <laughs> Either way, when I say yeah, I'm a yeah. prick, I've got a question yeah, mark yeah, after yeah. it. Rammer uh, over here. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was quite a shocking moment watching it first time round and even funnier watching it second time round. But um, Charlie Method being an absolute weapon um, with the Balearic anthems. Uh, yeah, he's just should be nowhere near football. He's just a mean machine, isn't he? TV gold, though. That man is TV gold. Um, I think the Ibrahimovic one is very underrated, by the way. That was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. 31% of people said Ibrahimovic. 30% said the walkout music. 29% said I'm a prick, I have kids. And 10% said Jack Rodwell. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Visa and Patch. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject, and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and Visa would say Villa, that's one down, and Patch would say Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So not long now until the World Cup and France... Of course, the holders. 
But can you name for me the eight most capped French players of all time? We'll be honest, you'll do well to get them all, but I'll give you some clues. Three of them are still playing. The least most recent one retired from international football in 2004. So I would also say that everyone has heard of these eight players. Everyone who listens to this podcast will 100% know these eight players. So we'll start off with you, Visa. Can you name one no, of not the me. No, not me. No, don't I don't want to be out in the first one. Go on. Go ahead. I think the French national team is so weird that like sometimes it's just players that just doesn't play. Like Benzema should be in there, but because of obvious reasons, he, he hasn't for quite a long time. Um, my, my mind just goes straight to like a defender or like a goalkeeper because they should be getting most game time. Um, I'm, I beg this is correct. Desai. Correct. He's got the fourth most caps. He's got 116 and is the least most recent player on this list. At your go. The least most recent. My brain isn't isn't coping very well with that. Um, I'll hopefully play it safe and go for Zidane. Correct. He's got the seventh most. So just on the list, he's got one hundred and eight caps. Yeah, I, th- I wasn't sure if he'd be on there either. But here we are, Justin. I'm pretty sure we did this on a stag do in, in in August. We ran these questions on a stag do in August, and I can't remember it. I can't remember what we what we said. Um, and it took us ages to get to him as well, which is not great. I've got to say Paul Pogba it might be might be one of them. Paul Pogba is 16 caps off this oh, list. Shit. So he's got 91 caps. The, the least you need is 107. So, yeah, I, I thought Pogba would be on there because he seemed to be playing for France mm. all the time. but And he's been playing for them since he was a young lad, hasn't he? So Justin's out. That means it's down to Visa and Patch. Can you give me another one, please? Visa. You said there's three that's still playing now? I mean, Luis is getting on a bit now, so surely Luis should be in there. Like, he's been about for quite a while, so if there's three that's still about, I want to hope that Luis is one of them. And you'd be correct. He's got the second most French caps, 139, since making his France debut in 2008. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that as well. So you have got five remaining. It's two of you still in. Pat, you'll go. Um... He might, he might be older. Uh, let's go for Laurent Blanc. Laurent Blanc has got 97 caps, which is unfortunately 10 caps too few for this list. So oh. Patch is out. That means it's down to Visa. You've got five remaining, mate. Thing is, uh, Laurent Blanc was actually like the first one I thought of. Then I thought maybe Desai. I don't know why I picked mm. him, really, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, so there's two remaining that's still playing for them now. Um, oh, this is this is actually a, a hard one because I, I don't watch French national team football really over the World Cup, so this is actually a nightmare. And there's like the likes like Matuidi that maybe is a weird one that maybe no one could really think about. Mm. So I want to try and be in, in, impressive here. And if I if I get this right, then I'm a genius. So I'm gonna say Blaise Matuidi. Matuidi's got 84 caps, oh. so unfortunately out. Yeah, so you, you managed to get three out of eight. Some more names. Yeah, yeah go on. Throw some more names in the mix. Okay, Ribery. Ribery, nope. Nowhere to be soon. Vieira. Yeah, Vieira was eighth. He had uh, 107 caps. Um, the person with the most caps, a bit surprising, Lillian Taram. Oh, wow, of course. Yeah, yeah. he's been around for ages. Uh, Thierry Henry was on there as well. Thierry Henry. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm surprised no one said him. I, 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 thought, I thought Henri, but I thought that maybe like an attacker. I don't know, like injuries or something. I don't know. I just, I just kind of thought that it'd be a weird one. Giroud's got five. He's the fifth most caps for oh, France. Giroud. Yeah, yeah. Griezmann, which you said, Visa, he's got six. Yeah, uh, and the end. Vieira was the other one. So there you go, chaps. Unfortunately, you've fallen foul, Simon Grayson. Hopefully, I'm not surprised because <laughs> that was a really tricky one. Simon Grayson was particularly hateful this week. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back again on Thursday to go through all the midweek games in the Championship. But a quick thank you to our guests on the show. It's Burnley fan and YouTuber Visa. Thank you for your time today, mate. Thank you, pal. Appreciate this was Patch Warner from the Bristol City podcast. Three peeps in a podcast. Thank you for your time, Patch. Thanks for having me. Can I, get, can I do a quick sh- shout out to anyone in the championship who runs a former players association to get in touch with me on Twitter at 3PIAPC? Trying to look, get a little network of FPAs going. No problem. Uh, enjoy your McPlant burger. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.